What a blessed hope we have. It's important because we experience challenges and uh, we need to keep focusing on that hope. I just want to mention today, and I appreciate that we'd be all praying for Carrie uh, this week. Her father passed away this week, just a few days ago. So let's remember to continue to pray. But boy, doesn't that make our hope in Jesus even more profound? For those of you that don't know me, my name is Howard Moore, and uh, the church has been scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, to find somebody who would step in and help Daniel, uh, I guess, as Rusty's on sabbatical. So I'm on staff here at uh, New Life Church and consider it a real privilege not only to serve you. Uh, on staff, but actually be able to share the Word of God with you today. Uh, today I want to talk about, uh, from Second Peter, we're going to be in chapter 3, I'd like to talk about waiting. Waiting is a hard thing to do. Waiting is hard. I want you to imagine what it was like when you were a child. Waiting for that bike that first bike. Mom and dad were so slow in agreeing that you could have it. Or waiting for that Barbie doll that, of course, everybody at school had, but you had to wait. When we get a little older, waiting to have our driver's license. Wow, we can just hardly wait until that birthday comes that makes it possible for us to, be get, a, to get our driver's license. But even as adults, waiting is often hard to do. I think back to a, a period of a quite long delay that happened in our life. Uh, some of you have been in the church for a while. You remember um, uh, years ago, I was an associate pastor at the church here. And it was in June of uh, 1984 that Karen and I, uh, through some meetings that we had and just praying together, it's a long story, but we decided that God was leading us to leave here and go and minister in France. And so we made that decision, verified with the church, some of you were on the church board when I actually talked about that, I remember. And it was December the 31st, 1986, when we landed in Paris, two and a half years later. This church was really gracious because they allowed me to carry on as an associate pastor during that time while I traveled at many different places just explaining about what God was leading us to do and speaking to individuals who we trust would be involved in financially and prayer support for us. But God made it possible for us to go. And I look back on that and just see it as a little blimp in our lives. But that was a big period of time, waiting. Waiting is often hard to do. 
And you know what? The enemy sometimes uses the whole thing about waiting to discourage us, to bring doubt into our lives. As I said, we're studying 2 Peter, and uh, this is the second book that the Apostle Peter wrote. And he wrote it to a group of believers who were scattered in what at that point, at that time, was called Asia Minor, which today is modern Turkey. And already, uh, Pastor uh, Daniel has gone through the first two chapters of, of this letter that, Paul has, uh, that Peter has written. And we're now coming to the chapter 3. In chapter 2, specifically, Daniel led us in an explanation about what Peter calls there false teachers who were coming into the church and they were discouraging people and they were shifting people away from the truth of God's word. In this particular chapter, he's going to deal with one of those areas in which he was moving people away. Or they were potentially moving people away. And it all had to do with waiting. 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 What were they waiting for? Well, we're going to read it. The text will be up on uh, the screen for you, but if you want to follow in your own Bible, you may do so as well. So it's 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. I will read it. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminder, reminders to stimulate your wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, huh, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everyone goes on, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, my friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It becomes clear as you look through this passage that the key issue was the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. He calls it His coming, the day of the Lord, the day of God. You'll find those phrases. But it's not so much that, it's the delay of the day of the Lord which is the issue. People were being questioned about why a delay. Why would there be a delay when there's this promise that it's coming? Well, the Apostle Peter wants to address that dead on because he believes that that false thinking Creating doubt on the truth of the scriptures is entering in through these scoffers, he calls them. I think a reference back to the false teachers that Daniel alluded to in chapter 2. And he addresses it head on. How do we handle the delay of the Lord? Well, the first thing I think that he emphasizes in this passage is... He wants, to re- he wants us to remember the word of the prophets and also Jesus and the command that he gives through the apostles. It's interesting there, by the way, instead of just saying the apostles, he says your apostles. And I think what he's emphasizing is, you know some of these people. I'm one of them. These are ones that you have had a personal connection with. So he calls them your apostles. Well, specifically, what is he referring to? Well, I think what Peter is actually alluding to here is that this idea of the day of the Lord and the coming of the day of the Lord, it's not a new topic. It's not a new truth. It's actually found scattered through the Old Testament through the words of Jesus, and then even into the letters of the New Testament. For example, and uh, we'll just look at one example. I want to go back to the book of Joel, one of the prophets. And you'll see the words that are up there. We're going to look in Joel chapter 2. If you want to follow along in in your Bible, you can. We'll just be here for a minute But in Joel chapter 2, I just want you to get a feel for what Joel is saying to the people of God uh, back at that time. He says, Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army, his forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. And then notice what he says about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Wow. Get a feeling that this is serious intervention on the part of God. Then going on to verse 28 
It says this, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Does those words ring a bell for you? They're quoted by Peter himself on the day of Pentecost. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. There, we see clearly that the day of the Lord has actually two elements to it. It's a dreadful day, but it's also a day of blessing on God's people. And that actually becomes a theme throughout the Old Testament right through the rest of the Bible. The day of the Lord, it seems like the day of the Lord, you can maybe summarize it by this way. It's a day in which God, in a very extraordinary way, moves in, in the course of human existence and does something dramatic. By the way, it's not just something in the future. It has already happened. As a matter of fact, when Joel is referring to the day of the Lord there, it actually is also a reference to the fact that a few years later, God sent in an invading army from Syria, Assyria and then later from Babylon and came in and destroyed the nation of Israel, the people of God. And there was a sense in which destruction occurred because of rebellion and turning against God. But there was also this element of blessing as he preserved a remnant. And from that remnant, God's people carried on. So it's about the day of the Lord coming. Now, Peter goes on to say, remember those words. Remember that this is something that God has repeated through his servants from the beginning. That's the first thing he wants to emphasize. Then he goes on and he speaks even further here. He says, beware of the scoffers. Beware of the scoffers. Beware of the willful ignorance of the scoffers. Let me just read what he says again. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. By the way, that's not the first time that the Bible predicts that these kinds of people will come, false prophets. Jesus refers to that in Matthew chapter 24. He actually talks about false prophets or false teachers coming as well. But Let's get back to what Peter says here. In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. You see here, he's not just talking about false teachers. He's not just talking about false, uh, false prophets. He actually calls them scoffers. These are ones who come in, and what they're doing is 
They're actually mocking. They're mocking. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Notice what they say. Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, is this, is this really a promise? Is this really going to happen? After all, we can look back and see all this time and nothing has happened. Well, Peter goes on to say, verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago. He's not saying, well, they're just ignorant of the truth. No, they're not ignorant of the truth. They ignore the truth. They know about the truth, but they willingly do not accept it. They ignore it. Then he goes on to explain why they ignore it. It's because he says, you know, long ago, by God's word, God spoke, and this is what happened. He starts off with creation. He says the heavens came into being, God spoke, and the heavens happened. And then he goes on to say, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. God used water. To establish the earth. And then he goes on to say, but by these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. It's interesting. He, he ties the creation of the world into the flood, the destruction of the world. And he's saying God used water to do it. There's a, there's a connection that goes along there. And then he goes on in verse 7 and says, and by that same word, in other words, by God just speaking the word, the, the present heavens, what we have today, present earth, are reserved for fire. This time, instead of water, God using water, he's going to use fire. And fire, as you know, is a symbol in the Bible of destruction and refining that goes on. So God is reserving this present earth for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So he proclaims very clearly, <clears throat> first of all, the prophets, Jesus, the apostles, they've all been talking about this. And then he says the scoffers, they actually know about it, but they willfully reject it. And then he goes on to give us the reason for the delay. Why is God delaying it? So, he's saying, be aware of God's reason for the delay. Notice what he says, starting in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. By the, word, by the way, that phrase, dear friends, he used that in verse 1. So he comes back to it again. And so you can tell he's going to make a major point. Do not forget this one thing. And there's actually two things that he's going to show us here for why God delays. Number one, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He actually quotes from the Old Testament. 
likely the oldest psalm that we have in the book of Psalms. Psalm 90, verse 4. And it was written by Moses, long before David or Solomon, who, who are, wrote a lot of the psalms, uh, particularly David and some of his colleagues. Uh, and there, Moses seemed to recognize that God's way of measuring time is not the same as us. God's way of measuring time is not the same as us. You know, I got thinking about that. That it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's quite a difference between God and myself that way. But I, I just think that, that there's even a difference between me as a grandfather and my, uh, and, and my grandchildren. And I think of our twins, uh, Harris's grandchildren as well, the twins. And those little twins, they're three years old. Their concept of time is a little different than mine. Marlene, they ask for a cookie. And Marlene may say, well, yeah, I'll give you one, but you have to wait. Oh, that word wait is a tough one. And so they think it means five seconds or maybe 10 seconds, where, of course, our perspective is waiting can be much longer. And that helps us to understand that with God, that's the case too. God is dealing with eternity, and we often don't think in those terms. And so there it says, and of course it's just an expression, one day is like a thousand, a thousand like one. So I just want to tell you, Jesus uh, ascended into heaven two days ago, if you go by that standard. Two thousand years ago, you know, a thousand days is like one day, okay? A thousand years like one day. So uh, just two days ago. He went up into heaven. So what are you waiting for? I mean, what are you upset about waiting for? It's, that's kind of the concept that Peter is trying to emphasize here. That timing with God is just not measured in the same way as we do. It seems like a long time. But in God's eyes, it's not. But then he goes on to a second reason for the delay. And this is absolutely crucial. He goes on to say, let me read it again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, the reason that God is delaying his coming is not because huh, he hasn't quite got all of his forces together. He's working on it, though. He's working on it. One day he'll have everything together. He'll finally be able to... Do no, that's not the reason. It's all about us. He's waiting. It really reveals not that God is inadequate, but that God is loving, and he's patient. He's waiting. Waiting for us and for those who live around us and for those who are scattered throughout the world, including those areas where they've never, ever heard the name of Jesus. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's patient. That's 
the reason for the delay. That's who our God is. But then Peter immediately comes to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come. So he states unequivocally again, the day of the Lord will come. But then like he, he says, it will come like a thief. So there's one more truth that we need to understand. He's not going to tell us ahead of time, I am coming on July the 1st. 2023. He's not going to do that. It's going to be like a thief. It's going to be like a thief. By the way, Jesus talks about this, and Jesus actually uses the very same terminology. Matthew 24, which is that well-known passage where Jesus talks about things related to the future, this is what he said. I just want to quote a couple of verses. But about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven. I can just imagine the angels are all, all right, guessing. You know, when is it going to be? When is it going? They don't know any more than we know. They don't know. And Jesus, at that particular time, even when he was here on earth, he said, nor the Son, even I cannot. Only the Father. But then he goes on to say, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. Makes sense, eh? I got an email or a text saying, listen, I'm going to come and rob your house tonight. I would make sure that I'd lock my doors. So he says, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So it's going to come. The coming of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then he goes on to state what it's going to be like. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. He brings back that fire concept again. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, there's people who have speculated what that's going to be like. Sounds like a nuclear explosion, etc. And we all know that uh, there is that threat that's going to be. But we don't know for sure exactly what it's going to be. But one day, the great day of the Lord will come. And I believe this is likely a clear message to us that one day God is going to put right what has gone wrong in this world. For not only is rebellion in the hearts of human beings, all of us, but you know from studying within, in the Old Testament that the consequence of sin entering into this world has actually in some ways marked the world that we live in. And one day, God's going to change it all and he's going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth and we will have the opportunity to live forever on that renewed earth. 
Then we come to verse 11. So not only be assured that that day is coming, but now he says, in light of this coming day, be aware, uh, in light of the coming day, live differently. How do we live in the light of this delay of his coming? That's where he wants us to live differently. I want to just read again what he says we do. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That's quite a passage. He says, first of all, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Well, you've all heard that, and there's a sense in which we can very easily just kind of brush over all of that. That word holy, I want to emphasize again, because we naturally think of holiness as relating to moral purity. So we think immediately of of sexual immorality, of remaining pure in that way, or we think of of not stealing, uh, of not defrauding our neighbors, different things like that, different kinds of practices that is staying away from evil. That's part of it. But actually, that word is even more profound because the word holiness is actually at the base of it, it's this idea that we are separated, we're set apart. It was actually used of, uh, could be used of dishes, could be used of utensils. Uh, For example, if you come to our house, uh, and uh, we have uh, two, well, maybe three sets of dishes. Uh, We've got the dishes that we use every day, And Karen allows me to use those because I sometimes drop them and break them, but that's all right. We'll just go to the store and buy some more. But she has china. And those we use only on special occasions for special things. So I'd like to think, I'd like you to think that God has set you apart. You are special. So, it's more than just moral behavior. It's the idea, is my life directed toward pleasing God and everything that I think of, everything that I do, but my motives for even doing things, it's changed the course of my direction of life. That's what holiness means. So when he's asking for holy behavior, he's asking for us to remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, but that the fact is, now we live for him, even in light of the coming day of the Lord. So we live holy lives. We live godly lives. That word godly means to, to worship God, it means that actually our lives and how we live brings praise and glory to Him. Now, we have to be careful because I know some people say, yeah, but that must be an Apostle Peter, but you're certainly not talking about me because I sin. He sinned as well. 
But he dealt with the sin in his life. That's the way that the Lord wants us to serve him. Our aspiration is to bring glory and God to him every day. And when we fall, we deal with it. And we're back and serving him again. That's what he's calling us to do. To live holy and godly lives. And then he said, you ought to focus your life on his coming. He says, as you look forward to the day of God. As you look forward to the day of God. You focus on the day of God that is coming. And then this little phrase, and speed, it's coming. I think most of us never really thought of that. I can be waiting for Jesus to come, but to really think, could I influence his coming? I mean, we don't know when it's going to come. Can I influence his coming? Apparently so. What would it mean to speed the coming of the Lord? Well, let me throw out some possibilities. You know, as we live lives dedicated to God, we actually reveal God's patience to ourselves and to others. So actually, our lives can reflect the patience and love of God. And so in that way, we actually can draw people through our lives to the God that we serve and the message that God has. He's patient. He's waiting. He's waiting for repentance. Secondly, I think is our commitment to the spread of this message around the world. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus, in the course of talking about what's going to happen in the future, he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all peoples of the world. And the end will come. It hasn't been done yet. But it's developing. It's coming. And I think our involvement in seeing that happen is what we can do to speed his coming, to be involved, to be committed to what God wants for the whole world, including our community, and then seeking to be his witnesses, reflecting his, uh, his uh, coming in our lives or his, his grace and patience in our lives, but also available to share of the good news that God has done for us. And then another way I think that we can speed his coming is our prayer. Jesus gave to us that Lord's Prayer. And in that Lord's Prayer it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I think we can be praying that God would move mightily in our community and around the world and he wants us to be involved in praying that prayer in order that we might contribute to the moment of his coming when he will return. Well, he summarizes the day of the Lord with these words. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. 
That sounds like destruction, full destruction. And then he says this, but in keeping with his promises, the promises of God, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And again, that's the theme of the day of the Lord right from the very beginning, right through to the end. Yes, God will intervene in judgment and destruction. But we have a blessed hope. He will bring blessing for us. That is something he promised will come. So, we're still waiting for the day of the Lord. Delay is still here. We don't know when it will come. But he wants us to be living lives that bring glory and honor to him in light of his coming. And even to see ourselves as contributing to his coming. So what does this mean for all of us? Well, I'd like to suggest a few things with some questions. Are you ready for the day? This is a very important moment. Are you ready for the day? When Jesus came to earth, one of the very first things that came out of his mouth when he began his ministry is he went from place to place and it says that he shared the good news of the kingdom. And what was the message? Repent and believe. Repent means simply to acknowledge our need for him. And it means to be willing to turn completely 180 degrees, repent, acknowledge our sinfulness, our wandering from him, and turn to him and the gift that he's given to us through Jesus Christ, reconciliation and forgiveness. Repent and believe. Are you ready for the day? I want to challenge you. Be sure you're ready for the day. If you haven't, I invite you to turn to him. Repent and believe. Secondly, does the coming of the day affect you, your way of living? It's important for us to reflect on the fact. Some of us have uh, many years added on to our lives. The Lord has not yet come back. But do we live with the anticipation it could be any time? And we want to be people who are living in such a way that we believe he could come at any moment. And then the last question I ask you, are you helping to speed his coming? Not simply sitting back and waiting but actively engaged in what God desires to do in this world during this time of waiting. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your word. And uh, thank you so much, Lord, for making it possible for us 
to have our sins forgiven and to be part of this wonderful day that you're planning to come to pass. Lord, uh, we look forward to that day. It's long and, and, and we don't know exactly when you're coming, but help us to be ready in the way that Peter has challenged us today. And then, Father, if there are some who are not sure, I pray you'd speak to their hearts today. May your spirit continue to minister in all of us as we anticipate the day of the Lord, your day. And it's in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior and our coming Messiah, we pray. Amen.